Hello everyone and welcome to our very first MHTV of 2021. Um, it's good to be back, although um, you'll have to excuse us if we're a bit rusty, we've had a bit of a holiday. Um, so to start off the new year, we're here with Amir Khan, who's a mental health... Lindsay. Lindsay, sorry, it's my husband. It's my husband's uh, Zoom. <laughs> so, yeah. That's a good start, I'm just testing it. <laughs> So yeah, we're here with um, Lindsay Khan, um, yeah, and um, and Lindsay um, is going to talk to us tonight about veteran mental health, which is really interesting. And um, I'm going to um, let Lindsay introduce herself in a minute, but first we'll go over to Nikki, who's um, going to be covering social media, and we'll hopefully explain to you how you can get involved. Absolutely. It's lovely to be back. I'm really excited to be talking to Lindsay, um, mental health nurse of the year. So greatness in the presence of greatness. <laughs> Alas, fantastic. Um, if you want to have any questions or ask anything at all about her work, um, the process of the awards, anything like that, you can tweet us on hashtag MHTV or you can join in Facebook Live. Um, I'll be keeping an eye on the comments. So please do feel free to ask any questions that you'd like to. Thank you. Thank you. So, Lindsay, um, I think it might be really great if you could maybe just um, introduce yourself and just maybe tell us a little bit about your background as well and what attracted you into um, veteran mental health. Okay, thanks, Vanessa. Um, so, my name's Lindsay Khan, and um, I am the team manager for the Veterans Mental Health Transition Intervention Liaison Service um, for the East Midlands. Um, and how, how the role came to be or how I came to sort of um, get involved in veterans mental health is well it was a, it, I just came out of the RAF at the right time really because I'm, I'm an ex-serving mental health nurse so I did um, just shy of 14 years in the Princess Mary's Royal Air Force nursing service oh. um, and then I left in September 2016 and through that role um, I became involved with um, liaising with the NHS um, yeah. for transitioning veterans and um, I met um, a lady called Paula Jelly, who was the regional lead for, um, uh, for veterans mental health uh, for the East Midlands at the time. Um, and, and part of that liaison was getting veterans embedded into NHS care from the MOD, trying to make a seamless sort yeah. of um, process for them. Um, and I knew I was leaving and I said to her, you know, if any jobs come up in the NHS uh, at any point then uh, you know let me know sort of thing and uh, and true to her word a year later they were setting up the till service just as I was leaving the military and mm. uh, and it's just about sort of um you know the perfect storm really um, yeah uh, and, and I thought god that this job is just made for me yeah absolutely I'm interested before we move on to talking about the work you're doing now um did you do your nursing um in the um while you were in the military or did I, I you um, do that with me uh, no, I did my nursing. So I, I studied nursing um, at the University of Nottingham. Uh, yeah. I was from 97 to 2000. And then when I qualified, I did what lots of nurses do um, back then. We had to work on, on the wards, um, on the acute wards initially to get our sort of trade, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and it was whilst I was working on the wards, we actually had um, a Navy guy admitted to the ward um, who was really struggling with some... Um, 
service related stuff and it's something just twigged in my brain like oh okay mental health service people um i wonder if they have mental health nurses in the military maybe maybe they do maybe it's something to look into and i started looking into it and i just thought wow i would love to do that Mm. Um, and then before i knew it i I walked into the um, careers office at nottingham for for the ref and that and that was it i was i was joining (laughs) yeah so did you as a nurse did you stay local in Nottingham or did you have to do a lot of traveling so my um I did my initial um training down at RAF Holton the basic training which was the you know all the fun stuff um sort of rifle training weapons training and all the uh you know uh, um you know all, all the physical training and marching and all the rest of it which my friends found hilarious because they're like you know a nurse with, with a gun <laughs> yeah. uh, so but no so I did my um I, I did the the initial training down at RAF Holton and then my first posting was um at, at Catrick so it wasn't an RAF posting it was an army mm-hmm. base and that was at the Duchess yeah. of Kent Psychiatric Hospital at the time mm-hmm. which was a military hospital for, for mental, mm-hmm. mental health but it's closed mm-hmm. now which is which yeah. is a shame because it was a great place to work um it was tri-service mm-hmm. but it was working with the army the navy and the RAF, and we were looking after tri-service, um, uh, tri-service meaning the all three services. Um, uh, so you know, it, it was it was a good time. It was, it was yeah. great working there. Great. Um, mm. I remember um, going back to my training. I trained in 1993, but um, I started my training at Harrogate, which was linked to North Allerton. So I was right, really yes. familiar with Patrick, and we actually yeah. had some student nurses on my course who'd actually. Um, served and, and been based at Catrick and then did their mental health nursing quite um, quite kind of similar in some ways to you that they were married to people in the um, I think it was in the Air Force actually yeah. and then yeah. decided to make the step over to to mental health nursing so. yeah because it's Leeming RF Leeming near yeah that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, so that's where I started off at Catrick and so, mm. and and then um, and then I got posted yeah. from there to um to Cranwell, RAF Cranwell, mm. um, and I did RAF Line um, uh, as well on the um, uh, uh, tactical medical wing on the uh, um, uh, on the Aeromed squadron doing Aeromed mental health Aeromed, which was a fantastic posting. Mm. Um, yeah, and so then what, I ended up at Cranwell again for my last posting, so that that was the link to Lincolnshire, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I think as, you know, mental health nurses, you know, many of us aren't really aware because it seems like such a closed community and quite interesting for people who are listening really to understand a little bit about what mental health nursing is like in the Air Force or any other forces. So what do you think are the sort of opportunities and, um, and challenges, I suppose? Um, I, th- I think, um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting what you say about because um, you know, mental health nursing in the military changed a lot while I was in for the 40 yeah. years. And I remember when I first joined up and um, people would be saying things, you know, when you go on courses, promotion courses, or you go on exercise somewhere or something, and then people would be like, oh, what trade are you? And I'd say mental health nurse. they go, mental health nurse? Do we, have, do we even have them in the military? Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, of course we do. Well, why wouldn't we? Um, 
but people really didn't sort of, you know really didn't get it um and when you tell people um as well that you're a, a mental health nurse in the military they sometimes might say what do they need how, why do they need mental health nurses in the military and it's like well you know military personnel are human beings as well military people aren't infallible and they do require mental health support just like any other human being does <laughs> so um, yeah. why wouldn't we have mental health nurses absolutely yeah Plus the kind of unique stresses, you know, within the military. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like you say, the unique stresses have been moved around a lot, being separated from family, uh, deployments, exposure to possibly traumatic situations, um, which anybody can be exposed to. But obviously, if you're um, working within certain roles within the military, you, you've got a higher likelihood of being exposed to. So, yeah, like you quite, like you say, and and you you touched on before about um, families as well. So, you know, the, the impact of that, the separation, the deployments on families is it has a huge ripple impact on the, you know, the, the wives, husbands, children and etc. Mm. Yeah, I was saying before we went online, because I live in um, uh, in York, um, near Strensel, actually. Well, yeah, in Strensel, where the, the birth is here. Yeah, um, yeah. Certainly, you know, um, my children go to school with a lot of children whose parents are a base there and you know my children who my daughter being at primary school certainly had friendships that have had to to move on so I, I am quite interested in knowing about what kind of support there is for you know for young people as well and family as well you know yes yeah okay so so certainly through through our service so through the till service we do look at um we look at the bigger picture so we don't just look at the veteran we look at them um, we, we, we would always offer a carer's assessment so what i mean by care is not a you know not defined by um uh, you know the um specific guidelines of a, of a carer as in the social care um it, it's anyone who's supporting a veteran or providing any support so it could be a friend or a parent or a wife a husband or, or whoever that might be anyone who is um caring for them we would offer them uh, an assessment as well so mm. is there anything that we can do for them is there any support groups that we could link them into um it, you know can we get them their ind individual support and also we would look at the wider impact on the family and do they need some work around supporting um you know their children or uh, any sort yeah. of wider issues within the family that we could look at and try and support where we can or at least link them in because it's very important to at uh, tills that's what we do we link people into the right places so we would provide a holistic um and very specific um veteran um specific assessment of their mental health needs whilst taking everything else into consideration that affects people's mental health so social finances yeah. um you, you know all, all things you know work can be can be a big thing so and linking them mm -hmm. into the, to the organizations to the charities that we work with um you know third sector organizations to create a very bespoke care pathway for them that they can link into yeah yeah, well, I know I've jumped straight into um, to kind of talking about some of the sort of specialist mental health issues within veteran services. So maybe um, for people listening who don't know very much at all about veteran mental health, could you just kind of explain to us um, what what the sort of service offers? And um, sure. there's been a move, hasn't there, away from a focus on more uh, military mental health in the language to really specifically talking about veteran mental health as well. So I'm yeah. quite interested in that as well. 
Yeah, because I think, you know, there's that recognition now that obviously, you know, um, uh, historically, and this mm. is a while ago now, it was the, mm. you know, when you're in the military, the military will look after you. And then when you leave, the NHS will look after you. And it's like you're in one, you've got one foot in there. And you've got one foot in there when you're transitioning. It was what, what was um, found that it was very difficult for veterans who were, were leaving the military with a mental health problem um, to, or, or for veterans who develop a mental health problem once they've left to access the appropriate support um, pathways. So one way in which I always describe it is, is when, because when I left the military, I didn't even know what to do with a prescription. So mm-hmm. You know, there are simple things that you kind of take for granted. I'm like, oh, so where do, where do I take this? I haven't got a clue, you know, how to register it. When you're in the military, everything is kind of under one roof. Um, yeah. And uh, you are pulled into services by the military because they have to make sure that you are physically, um, so that as, um, you know, your physical health is in order, your dental health is in order, and your mental health is in order for you to be an effective um uh, uh, member of the armed forces community and um, because if if there's anything wrong with any of those elements of your health you're not going to be able to deploy and go off and do the jobs that you are you signed up to do if that makes sense so yeah. you are pulled into services to make sure that that all all of those areas of your health are covered and that's no different to mental health so if someone's got a mental health problem in the military um you know if they don't attend appointments but it's really important that we keep an eye on them to make sure that they you know if they at the end of the day if they're going to be holding a weapon or if they're going to be deploying off somewhere, we need to know that they are um, of sound mind to be able to do that. So, so they're pulled into services, and if they don't attend appointments, they will be sent reminders, and they will be, you know, followed up, etc. When they leave the military, uh, and you go to the NHS, mm. um, it's very, it's very different. You mm. have to be more proactive in your own care and seeking your own care. Um, and one thing is knowing where to go for that. So, uh, in the military, like I said, it's all under one roof. You'll go via your GP if you need mental health support. Your GP will refer you. Um, and and it's quite a, it's quite a simple process because it's only one service to go into and then you'll get linked into everything else in the nhs there is an absolute myriad of services mm-hmm. isn't there to choose from and it, it, it's kind of which one do i go to um mm-hmm. and i think for veterans sometimes falling between two services was sometimes an issue because yeah. oh, you're not quite bad enough for this one but you're way too complex for this one oh we're not really sure where you fit and veterans are kind of going away thinking well what what do I do how do I access support um so I think that that's really where the research came um uh, that's what the research kind of found that um, there was a, a need for a unique service that could look at the needs of veterans and then um, uh, and help them, if you like, to find their way through services and find the best fit for them um, so that they can get the help that they need and deserve. Yeah, you can totally see, see that sense of, you know, what you described about not knowing where to go with a prescription. So for somebody who's also um, experiencing mental health difficulties as well, yeah. so then yeah. being able to sort of navigate this new kind of NHS landscape when you've come yeah. out of the military, it must be really, really... Mm-hmm. Difficult. I think as well for you know, um, it's kind of sometimes that with services, obviously they're so you know rationed. Sometimes you know there's a lot of people needing help. That um, you know if you, if they don't return a call or answer the phone when they need to regarding their appointment, they might get discharged 
And that's quite a culture shock when you've come from an environment that pulls you into services and then you're mm. going into an environment that kind of, oh, hang on, well, I was linked into the service, but now I've been discharged because I missed two appointments or, you know, they're kind of not used to those, like, those cultural yeah. differences there. Um, so, you know, that's something I think that that we battle, that, that veterans sometimes battle with, and we can help support them with that. And, and maybe sometimes act as a middle person to maybe phone the services and said, well, we're really sorry that they missed these appointments, but they didn't really realise how the system worked. And now they do and they'll engage properly. Mm. So. Yeah. Um, Nikki, I'm just thinking at this point, do you want to come in with anything? Yeah, I'm getting student questions through. And from the type of questions, if you're one of the people who have said this, I'm guessing there's a year one questions. So <laughs> get ready, Lindsay. <laughs> so there's... there's <laughs> Uh, a bunch of them coming through for me. Um, um, what sort of issues do you see is one question. So I guess they mean what sort of mental health difficulties are you finding? Then yeah. there's a couple of people who've asked about homelessness because they've come across veterans who've become homeless and they wonder if you've got any thoughts on that. Uh, my favourite question, though, is <laughs> from Jerry, and it says, um, what's it like to win an award? And I guess we do <laughs> need to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> You'll win one yourself one day. <laughs> Um, we do need to talk about people how to apply for this a particular award, how it came about for you as well, because there's a deadline for applications next week. So if you're working with somebody and you think this person deserves to be nominated, mm. if you fancy maybe <clears throat> putting yourself in, there's no harm in that as well. <laughs> so um, can I come to you with this? The first one was what sort of issues do you see? What sort of mental health? Issues? Yeah. So we see a broad spectrum of issues. So like you would with any mental health service. So um, depression, anxiety, um, adjustment reactions. So we, we see quite a lot of that. So some some people who are experiencing adjustment reaction from leaving the service itself and the impact of that um, uh, coming, the, the cultural differences between being in the military and coming into mm. a civilian environment. And mm. some really struggle with that in the workplace. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, um, and also when people can come into the service quite young can't they and they yeah, can exactly. all their adult life in, yeah. in quite a directed and not controlled necessarily but directed directive yeah. sort of way and then all of a sudden everything has to be sorted out and if you that's not something that you've you've adapted and you've built skills to do it can be quite frightening yeah, no, absolutely. And and it can have a real impact on people's mood. And um and I always I always say when people are coming out of the military, um, I talk about the closest crocodile. Um so the closest crocodile um biting at the ankle might be housing, um, getting the family settled, getting the kids into school, um, you know, buying a house, getting a new job. And and people don't always look at, you know, don't always consider their mental health or accessing mental health support when they are at the point of leaving. So they are dealing with all these huge stresses, changing job, changing home, and um, and which is having more of a more more of a severe impact on their mental health than they realise. And then later down the line, it's like, okay, I really need some help now. So they deal with the closest crocodiles, and then it's like, okay, right now I need to sort my mental health out. So we see those people that maybe further down the line, and sometimes they might have developed some um, maladaptive coping. So there might be some alcohol use potentially. Um, uh, really struggling with anxiety. Um, of course, you know we hear a lot um, in the media about PTSD. Yeah. Tree. Um, so so of course we do see we do see um, 
uh, you know, PTSD, um, people with historic PTSD who mm. maybe had it for years and really struggled, struggled to try and cope with it, and but haven't, for whatever reason that might be, have received the treatment that's right for them, um, or, or even access treatment at all. So um, it's quite a broad spectrum, really, of what we see. I think there's an assumption that um, your kind of services work only with people who have experienced PTSD. Um, when they've come up the military so what is the kind of proportion of um... oh gosh do you know what I wouldn't have I haven't got um yeah. a figure for you off the top of my head mm. but um and I know I know it has it has it, the, the figures have risen um uh, in more yeah. recent and years got a lot of uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, what just... I would say <sighs> I mean, in terms of the media coverage, I think historically always the, the media focuses on PTSD with the military, doesn't it? Yeah. I think that does give a, it does um, uh, sort of give a, a misconception that everybody who's deployed in the military will have PTSD. Well, that's just not the case because actually there are lots of people that have been exposed to, to trauma in the military that might not develop for PTSD for whatever reason. And that's just like any sort of civilian that might be in a car accident doesn't mean that everybody is going to get PTSD from that. It's just um, it, it's lots of other um, sort of circumstances that will impact on them developing that. Um, yeah, it's hard to put a figure on it, but I would say, um, you, you know, it, it's not a huge majority like people would imagine that, that it is, like you say. Mm. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, there's been lots of studies and if people are interested, you know, King's College um, do have done lots of research on, um, you know, uh, the prevalence of PTSD in the military. And if people want to go away and have a look at that, then oh, I would absolutely. at their website. We can track <laughs> it down and retweet it. Um, yeah. What about homelessness? Because that's another thing that I think... Yeah, people... I think because um, there has been um, some... Uh, there has been, there is research out there in terms mm. of looking at homelessness and veterans and how that sort of comes about. Mm. Um, uh, I'm just thinking about where I saw a report that was done, I think, by the Royal British. British Legion on homelessness, which must be out there. I, I, I've Googled it um, and it is out there, um, which I read last year, and how we can support veterans and do sort of outreach work for, for veterans who are homeless. Um, I would say through our service, we do have uh, what I would say, you know, homelessness in, in some sofa surfing veterans or veterans who are, who are in hostels. Um, again, I can't, I couldn't put a figure on it. Um, but mm -hmm. what was the actual question that, that was asked? Was it about that, well, there were two different ones on it, and they were saying, I, one person was saying, I keep seeing um, homelessness linked to veterans. I wonder what impact that has on mental health. Yeah. And the other one is saying something about, do you have links to homelessness services? So I guess people are picking up on it from different yeah. angles. So, so we cover the, the East Midlands, which is, um, you know, it's a big chunk, and we also cover mm -hmm. the... Um, uh, we've got Milton Keynes on the bottom as well, which we also cover. So um, it, there's different services available in different areas, and it's just working out who we link in. I mean, we're based in Lincoln, so we we can mm. mix in with our homelessness teams. With um, so I myself work for Lincoln, Lincolnshire Partnership Foundation Trust, so mm. we, we have um, we have our own teams that we link in, uh, and, and sort of locally wherever our veterans are. Um, there's usually some level of support that we would link in based on their unique sort of situation and needs. But I think it's like homelessness for everyone. I think people get very outraged when they see homeless veterans because they think, hang on, how can this person one day have been serving Queen and Country and given so much? And then all of a sudden they, you know, and they, they haven't got a house or anywhere to live. Um, but I, I think with, you know, we, 
in terms of sort of mental health problems out on the streets, you know, people um, who struggle with their mental health, maybe they, for whatever reason, it's like chicken or egg, isn't it? Which mm. came first, the homelessness, or was it the, the mental health issues that um, didn't enable them to keep their job or their house running or, or whatever that then um, made them become homeless? And then, of course, there's all the exacerbation of the issues around homelessness on mental health, isn't there? So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But but we of course would link into any any services that we felt and when we wouldn't not see a veteran because because they didn't have a fixed abode, we would work around that situation and then see obviously what we could do to help their situation so that they they're not homeless anymore. Can can we talk to the council? Can we write them a letter? What can we do to support them getting into housing? Yeah. We're getting some more questions coming through on Facebook. But can we just take care of that? That's the last one that's coming through. What's it like to win an award and how does it feel like to win an award? Okay. Like yeah. So um so I think the, the best thing for me, and I was telling you earlier that um I'd actually been nominated for two other awards earlier on in the year. And I went, got a nice dress and went to a nice awards dinner before COVID. And mm. I didn't win either of them, but it was yeah. a nice evening out. And yeah. then and I got nominated for this award and I was at home in my pajamas watching <laughs> on my own and um and and then I only went and won um <laughs> <laughs> um but so it, it it was amazing and I think you know it's you do what you do with, with passion and 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 love I lo- absolutely love my job yeah. um, so to get an award for something that you love and you feel passionate about it's just like a big cherry on the cake really isn't it and and I got the award year 2020 which was the year of the nurse mm. and it was my 20th year in nursing as well um, yeah so it was just it's just really lovely and the best thing that has come out of it for me I would say is the opportunity to engage um, on social media platforms radio tv shows like yourselves mm. and get the word out there about our service mm. um, because that is what's really important to me, that veterans know that there is a specific service available for them that can help them. And mm. we are here and uh, we will do what we can for you. Um, so how do people find your service? How do people contact you? Mm. So um, so you can ha- so you can look up TILS. It's on the NHS website, but if you Google TILS, um, uh, it will, it, it's, it's all there. So um, Veterans Mental Health Transition Intervention and Liaison Service. Um, so um, our service, it, you know, I cover the East Midlands, but we are part of a bigger partnership, which, which is the Midlands and East, and that's Coventry and Warwickshire and Essex as well. So, that, so it's a big patch all in all. Um, but TILs are for England specifically. Um, mm. So they're uh, so services will differ, differ obviously across um, the UK, um, Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales will have their own services. So TILS is specifically for England, commissioned by NHS England. Um, so we have a single point of inquiry number that, uh, that veterans can call. And that, shall I, shall I give the number out? Would that be helpful? Absolutely, yeah. I've just retweeted the thing, but yeah, absolutely do. Brilliant. Um, so the number for that is 0300. 323 0137 um, and it's and it's it's open 24-7 365 um, days a year and anyone can refer in the veteran themselves a friend a family member um, and once they've been referred in they get access to a 24-hour helpline as well um, which is the same number but 0139 on the end 
Um, and also um, their families can access that helpline if they're worried or concerned. Um, so that's another layer of support there. Mm. And it's just a really easy way to refer in um, and, yeah. uh, and, and get help because they will just ask for a few demographics. So name, address, GP, service number and what the problem is. Uh, and that's it. And then once that referral um, is taken, by, uh, that's taken by our partners at um mental health matters they take the call and it comes through to us when we will make contact usually with it it, it 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 is within five working days and we will arrange to do an assessment within 10 working days um or unless unless it need unless we feel it needs to be swifter and then of course we will you know see them obviously due to covid um working practices are slightly different so we've had to yeah. adapt like everybody else we're doing um telephone assessments or tele-assessments um and but if some people can't tolerate that some people feel that they really need to see somebody face to face then obviously we would make provisions to do that safely um with ppe and um uh, you know so we base it really on uh, each veteran's individual needs and requirements what, whatever they need we will adapt to Brilliant. Uh, just getting some other questions here. So a question from Adrian. Hello, Adrian. Um, I'm not sure how mental health screening happens to pre-military personnel. Could you please explain? Yeah. Oh, gosh, I might not be the best person to answer that. <laughs> I, I, do, I do believe, um, obviously, I haven't been in the military myself, you do have a, um, you do have a, um, uh, a medical, a pre-medical when you join up. Um, and, uh, and and they they are they do ask questions about previous previous mental health problems, but it doesn't necessarily preclude, preclude you from joining the military. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I would I'd like to ask more about what um, what uh, is it Adrian? Mm -hmm. um, if he if there's any more that he wants to elaborate on that question, because actually yeah. um, uh, in terms of, of pre-screening. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't know if the you know what what's the evidence to suggest that pre-screening has an impact on mm. on whether or not somebody will later go on to, yeah. to experience any further mental yeah. health problems. I don't know. I just yeah, no, that's a really good point. Yeah, and I'm sure. And um, the other thing to bear in mind, obviously, and we say this a lot, is that we we tend to get a rush of questions towards the end. So we will be checking back <laughs> over the Facebook link and for the Twitter feed. And if we do see anything, uh, we'll yeah. absolutely redirect. So um, Nick Kenzie, hello. Thank you very much for for joining us tonight. A veteran, and also a current mental health student nurse, third year. You're nearly uh, there. Hang on in there. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, and part of a non-profit uh, CIC providing mental health support for current armed forces personnel, which is brilliant, yeah. um, particularly using EMDR. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that because that's yeah. an interesting thing that not everybody's aware of. Um, we'd love to link with the NHS. Um, could you signpost to us and I'll signpost to you? So now your details are there. People people will yeah. be in touch and you can get in touch with them. Um, they've also commented that there's a lot of anxiety and depression as well as drug and alcohol misuse. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And are you able to give any informational links to service provisions in the Northwest? So we actually have just retweeted that and obviously we've given the number as well. So perhaps we could talk about um, EMDR. So that's eye movement desensitization reprocessing mm -hmm. treatment. So, um, uh, yeah. Hence um, the shortening of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I do believe that's even moved on um, even yeah. further um, to th something called 3MDR, which I don't know a huge amount about. Um, but um, so EMDR is obviously a treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and, um, well, we were using it when I was in the military. We were using it for um, to treat um, military personnel mm. at the time. Um, I don't know 
I don't know how how that has changed. Um, I have um, I have read some um, research that says e, uh, about not using EMDR for um, uh, combat trauma. Mm. I don't know. I I, I don't know um, sort of um, the full range of research on that. So I, mm. I don't th- I don't think I can really a- a- um, sort of answer that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what? Um, so what? Um, what were? What was the question again? So I was talking about EMDR and using it within. Yeah, counselling services, including MDR, and we'll yeah. say how how we get how we get links between services because obviously there's lots of different people trying to service different parts of the same need, and I wonder how yeah. we can best join up, perhaps. Yeah, I think I think um, sort of depending on where you are, sort of sort of um, where we are um, in the East Midlands, we try and link in with as many sort of organisations in in the different areas that we work in as we possibly can. So obviously with COVID, we can't get out and about as much as we can do. But, you know, um, myself and my boss at the time, she's just left actually, but Paula Jelly, we would go anywhere. So any GP surgeries, we will, we rock up and do um, maybe a bit of training with the GPs about military culture, etc. And and sort of link in, see what's available in in the the localities, really, because actually there's lots of services that um, still might be available in different areas that we might not be aware of and that's why we try and get out and about so much and, and make links with people mm. as much as possible because it's not until you find out that each other exists that you can link in with each other which is why it's so important to sort of get involved in things like this so you can make these links social media is great twitter we've made lots of connections over twitter um and um and it, it, i suppose it's just about obviously we're an nhs organization so we have to work with other organizations that are um yeah, uh, regulated um and um uh, uh, you know etc um, but ultimately it's about providing veterans with choice mm-hmm. and you know sometimes it's about us saying to them right this is what's available in in your area let's pick out the ones that you feel will suit you best um and, and working with them to make some decisions around that is that, does that answer the question? Sometimes I feel like I think it does. <laughs> I think it off. does. And don't forget, if people have other questions, absolutely, then get in touch, can't they? I wonder if we can come yeah, back to Vanessa now because we're heading towards the end of the session already. Yeah, already. No, I think just building on what we've been talking about, it's quite interesting to understand the process. We've talked a lot about, um, you know, how people can access the service, um, yeah. and um, and we've talked a lot about signposting. Um, what I'm not clear about is how much um, sort of treatment and support that you offer within the service, or is it mainly about um, yeah. people coming into the service and then providing a sort of specialist yeah. assessment and then looking at where they're best yeah. placed? Is that yeah. Right? So I'm glad, I'm glad you asked that, Vanessa, actually, because that's a really important part of our service. So, so that that's right. That's what we do. We assess and then we refer into to um, to other organisations. But what we do have access to is um, is is specific veteran specific services that wouldn't be available by the you know the normal NHS route if you like. So we also work in partnership with an organisation called Walking with the Wounded, the Head Start program, um, who provide um, uh, um, trauma focused therapy and and other work with veterans um they also work with um carers as well so they will provide therapy sessions for carers if if that's required so we ha- we have sessions available with them that we can link into we also have access to what's called the complex veterans mental health complex treatment service 
So mm -hmm. the Veterans Mental Health Complex Treatment Service, so for those veterans who have already accessed local services um, for psychology or trauma-focused work, um, and they might have complex um, mental health needs, whether that's trauma-based or, or other issues, um, and um, we can, if they've already been through um, therapy via um, their local services and they've, uh, they've come to the end of that treatment and they're still not better, we can link them into the, to that, to the complex treatment service. So that's something that wouldn't normally have been available. Uh, and then more recently, because veteran services are just growing and growing and growing. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, and I think that just, you know, NHS England and, and the government are seeing the, the need for these services. Mm -hmm. They're not going away. They're just going to grow and continue to grow. So in October, um, we, um, we were lucky enough um, to, um, uh, to gain another veteran-specific service, which is the High Intensity Service, so the Veterans Mental Health High Intensity Service, or the HIS. Um, so I share an office with, um, with the HIS team manager for our area. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, yeah, yeah they, they just got up and running in October. And what, what they provide is a... Um, is more uh, sort of crisis support. Yeah, yeah. So if we if we identify, so what happens is the referral comes through to Tills, then myself and the team manager for the HAS will screen the referral. And if we if we look at that referral and there's um, there is any risks involved or anything that yeah. needs immediate attention, we will pass it through to the high intensity service and they will pick it up straight away. So that's, that's within, unless it's over a weekend, that would be within sort of 24 hours. Um, mm. uh, uh, they would make contact and make an appointment so that they've got that instant support. And would they offer crisis support or would they be referring into um, yeah. the mainstream NHS crisis services? So, so they would offer intense support, but they, they don't work around the same hours as a crisis team. Yeah. So, so they would probably link into the local crisis teams to provide the out-of-hours support if needed, but they do provide an in, in, intense support. So if they needed to be seen daily, they would go and see them daily and um, until they're, they're at a point where they're stabilised. And they would use other services to sort of wrap around that and create, um, um, you know, create that um, sort of more holistic um support if you like with, with, with the veteran specific angle on it <laughs> which I think veterans do appreciate yeah definitely um what what also interests me is um is once you've referred people on to other services that meet the person's yeah. needs would you stay in touch with them would you sort of check how things are going or be involved in advocacy and that for example so our service model is that we see assess we make the referrals and then we close and that allows us to keep going as the, you know keep the cycle of going. Going as well yeah however um our partners mental health matters who um who provide the 24 hour support line and take the referrals they provide one month follow up three month follow up and six months follow up so mm -hmm. they will phone the veteran after one month three months and six months to say are you still getting the help you need is everything okay the feedbacks come through to me as the team manager. I will go through them. If there's anything flagging up on there that suggests that the veteran is not getting what they need, I will get the clinician who saw them to call them back and say, right, it, do you need to come back to us? Can we look at things again for you? And mm -hmm. I always, always say to our veterans and to our team, the door is never closed. If you feel you're not getting what you need and you need to come back, you come back as many times as you need and we will keep looking. We'll keep searching for the right fit. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, just thinking about the service that you you manage currently, um, what what's the team, what's the sort of configuration of the team in terms yeah. of the multidisciplinary mix? Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty small. We're a pretty yeah, small team. I imagine that, yeah. Covering a massive area. <laughs> um, uh, so there's myself as the team manager and then I've got... Um, I've got there's four nurses on the on my team and uh, an occupational therapist as well, um, and then we've got for the HIS yeah. who, who work sort of alongside us if you like. Um, they've got what, what have they got? They've got two nurses, a social worker, and a support worker. So um, so we have a social worker in the HIS, and we have the occupational um, uh, the occupational therapist in the um, in the TILS team, and we can kind of get advice on yeah. both of those issues uh, specifically across both teams if needed which is great yeah. yeah it sounds like although it's a small team that you you do quite a lot and that you're very clear about what you offer as well which is obviously important yeah i hope so yeah i hope so. In terms of the resource being limited but it sounds like there is a there is an emerging need for more of these services mm. uh, locally yeah. and and beyond yeah, um, absolutely, and I think so. And I think so, somebody asked a question about um, about alcohol. Did they um, drug and mm. alcohol? And I think that's what you know. One of the things that's that's you know that's missing is a mo- at the moment is a specific service. I think for veterans um, mm. uh, with, with those needs, because a, a lot of the time it, it is self prescribing and masking issues in, in a different in a different way really rather than taking medication or therapy it's mm-hmm. kind of hiding um you know and masking those issues sometimes and have been for a long time so mm-hmm. do you think there's a need to yeah. skill up other um professionals though as well just thinking about the resource yeah. i know you mentioned training gps but i would yeah. imagine that it'd be quite useful to train all sort of mental health staff yeah i yeah. think so so, so you're from York. There, there's a guy called Nick Wood who um, works out of um, York University. Mm-hmm. There's a program called the Military Human. If anyone's interested in looking that up, and and that is a great course. So I've done that myself. But um, the Military Human, and um, it's just about talking about the different, the cultural differences of what you might find when you're assessing a military person. And and I touched on it. Um, earlier just before we came live actually that actually a veteran might present very differently uh, in a depressed state to maybe how you would imagine so you know they might always be freshly shaven and present for an appointment quite smartly and that might hide the fact that um you know actually although their self-care isn't diminished it doesn't mean they're not depressed it just means there's a certain baseline that they work to that they would always get up make their bed keep their mm-hmm. stuff in order um make sure they're well presented because that's so embedded in their military culture and it might not always be picked it's one of the questions we ask as mental health nurses is oh well they're well kempt so yeah. self-care is good isn't it when we're when we're doing a mental state examination that's what we look at mm-hmm. so that's something that isn't always obvious and sometimes they might be quite high functioning because actually they've had to be um mm. so so that's it, it, that can also mask what might be a depression going on yeah it's like in terms of trauma as well you know it's a very specific form of trauma that has served in military yeah, yes being exposed to just like you know when I've worked with yeah. refugees kind of understanding their yeah. trauma experiences when it's completely outside our own cultural experiences so absolutely imagine this need to educate people around complex trauma specifically absolutely yeah. military 
sorry, sorry, Vanessa, we're both talking at the same time. That awkward Zoom moment, isn't it? Um, yeah, so I was just going to say on that is that actually sometimes veterans aren't very forthcoming. They might appear, appear a bit cagey, but actually they find it really difficult to speak yeah. to civilians about their experiences because they don't want to traumatise civilians. Mm. <laughs> and um, and also they, they feel that there might be a lack of understanding. I think they, I think sometimes, or certainly the feedback that I get from our veterans is it's so nice to talk to somebody else who's been in or somebody who kind of get, gets it and they're not mm. having to explain everything. And it does make it a little bit easier for them. Mm. Um, at, at the same time, you know, I always say to our veterans, you know, you might not always get a clinician that's been in the military, yeah. but you've got to trust that they know what to do with you and that they will yeah. look after you and at the end of the day you know we trauma is trauma however you've experienced it and and the treatment is is, is the same <laughs> so just, Absolutely. just because yeah. the clinician hasn't been in the military it doesn't mean you're not in good hands so it's kind of educating yeah. both <laughs> it's educating yeah. the civilians it's also educating um the veterans <laughs> yeah yeah, brilliant. Well, we're coming to the last few minutes, so I thought what we should do is go over to Nikki to see if there's any final questions, and then Lindsay over to you to make sure that um, we've covered any messages really um, and things that you wanted to get across tonight. So I'll just check with Nikki first. Yeah. If you Adrian's can. come back to us saying um, historically, um, looking at um, army recruits being from more deprived areas and yes. wondering if maybe that's got something to do with people being more susceptible to mental ill health during the time in the in the uh, military but this could mean additional support whilst on base and prior to deployment yeah yeah well that's a really good point and i'm sure it's something that's is, that's likely to be considered um i think it's one of those things isn't it it's um you know people that have come from uh, difficult upbringings um it, it's sometimes it can make them more uh, susceptible to mental health problems but actually sometimes it can make them more adaptable and more robust because they have mm. been through such difficult times so it it's um it's kind of an interesting um mm. sort of way to look at it but mm. but you're right you know if you are entering the military and you already have trauma from early mm. childhood or or issues mm. then obviously if you're exposed to more trauma then it is it's likely to to have more of a detrimental effect so yes i mean absolutely the the need for recognition of that and mm. support um is obviously something that should be should be considered mm. uh, absolutely uh, when i was in um you know things things were changing and moving forward and big steps mm. were being taken in terms of introducing that mental health support so um i know there's um there's lots of mental health first aid training going on now on camps and lots of mm. identified mental health first aid um sort of uh, trainers uh, etc with um, embedded within the military to provide that so i think yeah. th things are definitely definitely seem to be changing i know there's been mental health conferences on bases a mm. huge emphasis on mental health support mm. so, so there's changes that happen in community are just all, all parts of community including mental health military yeah. communities as well yeah um, absolutely i'd say so one last thing for me, just saying thank you to Anne Simon for joining in, saying yeah, there's been some great points about um, looking beyond, below and around presentation. It's how practitioners and clinicians position themselves. So thank you for that. And back to Vanessa. Okay, well, um, that's it from me. I'm uh, thinking if we go over to Lindsay, really, for any sort of last minute messages um, and things maybe that we haven't covered that you'd like you'd like people to know, really. I think I just uh, scribbled a few things down. I'm just scanning my piece of paper to see if there's anything I missed. Um, mm -hmm. 
I think just really the key messages um, sort of to get across from, from tonight really is that, you know, that there is veteran specific services available for people and it's just knowing where to access them and uh, and how to access them. And I hope that we've come some way toward doing that tonight. And, you know, when talking to, um, you know, future nurses, it's great there's the students out there that are listening and that, that this is a growing speciality of nursing, uh, you know, and it is in its relative infancy at the moment, but actually we need more and more people that are passionate about veteran mental health um, and looking towards getting into that because there'll be great scope for it in the future so it's just um, you know it's really great to see, see see the next sort of generation of veterans mental health nurses already <laughs> sort yeah. of lining up <laughs> yeah well I think um, you know I'm sure same for Nikki I've um, learned a lot tonight yeah. as we always do in every session and hopefully people listening tonight will be curious um, about finding out more and you're on Twitter as well aren't yeah, I'm you? on Twitter yeah questions Lindsay so, Khan. <laughs> so we've retweeted you so yeah people can find you yeah hopefully we've answered questions but um just as we always say really we will check later on on Facebook and Twitter yeah. and um if we've not answered anything we will try and do that or refer you on to to Lindsay if it's something really specific if that's okay and um and that's it from us really so thank you thank you for joining us and we'll say good night having me Thanks, everyone. Good night, all.